Hello everyone and welcome to HR Works COVID-19 update. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. In this episode, we are going to look at the relief package that's being kicked around between the House and Senate and what some of the provisions might mean for employers and employment law. I should add that a lot of that stuff's way up in the air right now, but we have an understanding that some things for employers will be affected somehow. So to discuss that uh, very broad topic, we have back with us today, Maggie Spell, partner at New Orleans location of Jones Walker. Maggie focuses her practice on cases brought under federal, state, and local employment laws, including Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and the Age Discrimination and Employment Act. She regularly offers wage and hour compliance advice and has represented employers in numerous Fair Labor Standards Act collective actions and state law wage and hour class actions. Thank you very much, Maggie, for joining us once again. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Jim. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Um, as we you know, mentioned already, it's things are up in the air, but if you look at uh, Biden's plan to combat coronavirus, uh, I can provide a link in the description for this. It does outline a number of things that would impact employers uh, heavily. And as, as far as I know right now, they're still being considered to, to go into. Yeah, I liked your way of putting it. Some things are going to be affected for <laughs> employers somehow. And I think right now that's, that's kind of the best that we can say, right? I mean, I think for employers, the main things to be on the lookout for are um, – in what Biden has called the American Rescue Plan, we've got putting the FFCRA requirement for paid leave back in place potentially um, and potentially even expanding that and then potentially raising the minimum wage and extending and expanding unemployment, I think, are, are probably the key issues that employers should be on the lookout for. But there's there's other stuff in there, um, and it does remain to be seen at this point, kind of how these are all going to shake out. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't we start with minimum wage? It's one of those things that from a, a employee perspective, it's like, all right, the new minimum wage is this. This is what I get paid. End of story. But for an employer, it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, what are some of the, the legal concerns should the national or the uh, federal minimum wage go up uh, when this bill is passed? Yeah, so we we do have, um, I guess, pending or what has been raised is the Raise the Wage Act. And I know we've we've been here before, right? We've had kind of this push for the fight for 15 over the last few years. Um, I think here, you know, what we're talking about is potentially a gradual raise over uh, four years to get to $15 for, for virtually all non-exempt workers by 2025, um, which for some of you out there may not seem like a big deal, right? Because you've got state laws that have already raised your minimum wage to something above the uh, still current federal ver uh, level of 725. Um, and I, I got right. into an argument with some friends recently who disagreed with me that that was in fact the minimum wage. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and has been since I think 2009. Um, but that's where we are. But for some of us, you know, Louisiana, for example, where I am, Texas, Georgia, that's still the minimum wage is 725. We don't have state laws that have higher 
um, thresholds. So for employers in states where this isn't currently um, anything higher than 725, there's going to have to be a shift, right? There's not just magically more money in the pot. Right. Um, so it's going to be interesting. <laughs> That's when I reveal how much of a nerd I am. It's going to be interesting to see kind of exactly how things change, right? Things potentially get more expensive. Um, you've got to find the money somewhere. And they're also talking about no more tipped minimum wage for those in the, the restaurant industry. Mm. Um, and to raise that as well to $15 an hour by, I think it's 2026 with a, a gradual raise of that. And I'm sorry if you can hear my dog in the background, but that's all right. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, it's really going to be interesting to see kind of exactly how em- employers are going to deal with that issue. Um, Cause not only obviously do you have the minimum wage going up, but then you have the overtime rate going up and money's got to come from somewhere. Yeah. And then there's an interesting situation where, you know, not everybody that's uh, on salary uh, necessarily equates to $15 an hour. Some of them might be making less. And so you'd have a situation where um, exempt employees are making more per hour than their non-exempt, I think I have that right, than their non-exempt counterparts. So you have a lot of pay structure. Other way. I always get them mixed up. Your non-exempt employees, <laughs> yes, making more than your exempt employees potentially. If, if you're, I think it's okay if they're at, like a straight $15 an hour. But if you get much over that, then then yes, I think it's above what they'd have to be paid. So that's complicated. Um, you also have, of course, the other concern is that with so many people working remotely now, you have to follow the state laws of where your employees live, not where they work. So I think that was already a very complicated issue over the last year um, that potentially could get a little bit more, a little bit more complicated. See, if you have employees who live in Louisiana, they're not that complicated because we don't have that many, <laughs> um, anything else outside of the FLSA. So, yes, I I put together our state wage minimum was it state by state minimum wage map this last year and was surprised to find about five or six contiguous states in the southeast that had no laws whatsoever, not even one to just match the the federal law. Right. Very interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the unemployment. Uh, of benefits. Sure. I, I understand there's a look to expand unemployment and even the idea uh, that people that feel unsafe at work can leave their organization and collect unemployment, which, as you can imagine, is creating quite a stir. Yeah, sure. So, you know, looking to the unemployment issue, generally speaking, for purposes of people who say either, um, ran out of benefits, exhausted their benefits in in 2020, or um, people who are self-employed or who are um, underemployed, I guess. Those folks, people who wouldn't generally be um, entitled to unemployment insurance, there's a push to extend those benefits out. The people who you know, aren't entitled to regular unemployment. And then also to provide a $400 per week supplement to that from from the government. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that that shakes out. I I know I actually got a call from somebody recently who is 
I guess, potentially self-employed and their benefits just stopped at the end of the year because they, those benefits were set to run out. Um, I think it was on December 26th, Merry Christmas. Um, <laughs> and so for those folks, you know, that, that extension is key, right? Cause they're not currently entitled to regular, just state unemployment benefits. Um, so that's going to be huge for, for a lot of people. Um, and then I did also read what you mentioned about, um, the potential for if people feel unsafe that, that they can potentially collect unemployment, what that's going to look like kind of remains to be seen. Right. Um, yeah. And I know that, that the president was asking for some guidance to be, uh, issued on, on what that was going to look like and to, to clarify that point. So I think that is one that we need to kind of take a wait and see, um, how that's exactly going to be passed because hopefully they'll offer some, uh, some, some clarification and some particular kind of thresholds, right. For what, (laughs) what unsafe conditions actually means. Otherwise I agree that's going to be a real big mess. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be one of those things where a lot of people will do the right thing and won't take advantage of it. And then a smaller percentage of people will take advantage of it uh outside of the actual need for it you know sure. and then that'll get reported on and i'll create all... i mean it's just it's really unprecedented it's the kind of thing that i i can see why a lot of people are apprehensive about it but also a lot of organizations took advantage of their workers uh and, and put them in unsafe in unsafe spaces uh, particularly in the very beginning of the pandemic um, before they sort of quote unquote got good at it well, there was certainly a period of time, right, where we were all just kind of, I don't want to say guessing, because that's not exactly right, but we were all just doing the best that that we could do on a day-to-day basis. And hopefully people have you know, found something that works for their workplace, because um, it is so different for every industry and every workplace and every employee. Absolutely. Um, but hope, so hopefully we're not really seeing that going forward um and that that is kind of a, a a moot point that's not really necessary um for employees to to use yeah, yeah. that's the wishful thinking for you it is that. some wishful thinking <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens i i too am very curious as to how they're going to roll that out yeah um so much about unemployment is paperwork oriented and i don't know where you get the paperwork to say i don't feel I don't feel safe. I, I don't think there is paperwork for that. Well, there isn't currently paperwork to say I don't feel unsafe, but. Um, the I think there's only uh, one other thing that we have to talk about at this moment, although I'm sure that we will revisit this as these things become more concrete, which was the um, guaranteed emergency paid sick leave and caregiving leave. Yeah. So, you know, I think the, the main piece of this, right, is the um, requirement to put that FFCRA paid leave back into place. Um, There are a couple of interesting things that Biden has proposed that go along with that, which would be eliminating the exemptions for employers uh, who have either more than 500 employees or less than 50, um, making clear that healthcare workers and first responders also get these paid leave benefits, whereas before they were, um, there was an exemption for them if they weren't able to take it. And right. then 
what he what he calls for those two are you know close, closing the loopholes um, to extend emergency paid leave to up to based on the the government's count about 106 million additional workers between getting rid of those um, exemptions. So that's going to be interesting. And then there's also let's see. So the the other piece is the potential expansion of that paid sick and family and medical leave um, to to over 14 weeks for folks who are out to quarantine or to take care of kids or to get the vaccine. Um, And then the third piece of this, right, is that there would be a a potential new maximum leave benefit of $1,400 per week, um, which would be about, it would be full wage replacement for folks who earn up to, I think the number is $73,000 annually, which according to the plan is more than three fourths of workers. So that'll be interesting. And um, there was on Friday, a, an act introduced the Family and Medical Insurance Leave Act, uh, which is family, although I'm not sure where they get the why, um, which pro- would provide for 66% of monthly wages uh, for all folks who are out basically for the, the FMLA reasons, right? Uh, and that would be 12 weeks of, of partially paid leave. Um, and then, of course, the it, it, if we go under just the, the FFCRA requirement, if that gets put in back into place, the, the tax credit would still be there um, under the current version of what Biden is proposing for employees with less than 500 employees. So that's that's a little bit of a change. The five, 500 plus would be required to provide leave, but wouldn't get the tax credit. Mm. And before there was no cap? Before there was a tax credit available for people who were subject to the FFCRA, which was anybody with 500 or less employees or less than 500 employees, um, which I think never made sense to a lot of people. So this would eliminate that cap on who has to provide the paid leave, but wouldn't give the larger employees that tax credit. All right. Great. Um, I think that's everything we have right now for what we're likely to see. Um, But unless you can think of anything else. No, I mean, it looks like right now, um, these proposals would all extend that paid leave out through the end of the third quarter. And I think we're all hopeful, right. That that is enough. Um, and that by that point, things are looking back to normal ish. Um, it seems possible that that could happen for the first time in a long time. Yeah. Um, with the, you know, the rolling out of the vaccines. So, um, vaccines alone won't do it, but it's an, a critical part. So I am hopeful for, sure. uh, for, for the first time in a while. Well, Maggie, thank you so much again for, uh, for joining me today. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Thank you also, listeners. Uh, please check back next week for the next episode of HR Works COVID-19 Update. Remember, you can always follow us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.